All right, so we're today, we're in lesson 42. We're going to look at Acts chapter 21 and Paul's defense before the Jews. Now, here's what we're going to see. We've seen now that Paul is arrested. He's been accused of defiling the temple, of bringing a Gentile in. It's a false accusation. They want to kill him. And so what we're going to see now is because of the accusation and the, the uh, indictment against him, we're going to see over the next few weeks that Paul's going to make several defenses of himself. So right here in this passage, just as he's arrested, he asks the Roman centurion, can he address the crowd? So he's going to make his defense today to the Jews who are there that want to kill him. The next time we see him, we're going to see that Paul makes his defense to the Jewish leaders. And they still want to kill him, okay? Then we're going to see that he makes his defense before a Roman procreator. And then we're going to see him make his defense before another Roman procreator. And then we're going to see him make his defense before King Agrippa. So we're going to see several of his defenses concerning his ministry, and hopefully we can learn something from it, okay? God had a purpose in all of this happening. Remember, we saw that the Lord was warning him this was going to happen, so now we're going to see how Paul responds in that, and hopefully we can learn some lessons from it. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look at verse 40 of chapter 21, and we're going to go up to verse 21. Of chapter 22. Look with me. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And there was a great silence. He spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you. When they heard that he spoke to them in in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am and indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are today. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened that as I journeyed and came near Damascus, at about noon suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they they, they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. 
since I could not see for the glory of that light, and being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I, took, I looked up at him. Then he said, God, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all the men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. <clears throat> now it happened that when he returned to when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I saw in a trance and, and saw him saying to me make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me so I said lord they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believed on you and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed I also was standing by consenting to his death guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now, let's, let's go ahead and talk about what's going on here. First of all, he speaks to the people. After motioning to the people to be quiet, Paul spoke to them in Hebrew. After motioning to them to be quiet, Paul spoke to them in Hebrew. Paul identifies himself as a zealous Jew who was a student of Gamaliel. Now Gamaliel was, to be honest with you, was a very well-known teacher at the time. Okay? Well-known Jewish teacher of the law. We actually have seen him already mentioned earlier in the book of Acts. So he, he, right off the bat he's going to tell them, look, I was schooled by the very best concerning Judaism. Okay? So he's, he's listing out his credentials here. He was schooled by the very best. Paul states that he persecuted the church to death as he arrested both men and women. So let me just stop for a moment. What do you think he's saying here? Look at me at the statement that he makes here. Verse I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. What kind of a statement is that? That's Paul saying it here. What's he saying? I, I persecuted them to death. What you, yeah, he killed them. Do you understand? They made no bones about it. You say, well, that, that's illegal according to the Roman system. Folks, have you ever done anything the law says not to do? And you just keep on doing, not doing it until you finally have somebody catch you? Do, you. do you know people who are like that? Okay. Same situation there. Just because the Romans said that they had the power of the death penalty doesn't mean that they didn't, they didn't exercise that themselves. And so Paul, being zealous for Judaism, persecuted the way, that is, the way is Christianity, unto death as he arrested both men and women. 
Paul states that he was given authority by the high priest to do the same in Damascus. He's saying, look, the, the high priest will tell you, he's right here, he'll tell you that I was even supposed to go to Damascus and take care of them there in Damascus. So he's, he's letting them know his background, how zealous he was for Judaism. Okay? How zealous he was for Judaism. I'm one of you, basically is what he's saying. Paul explains his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus now. So what he does is he's going, because this is the key thing. How does somebody who is persecuting people, killing people because they believe in Christianity, all of a sudden become a Christian. He wants them to understand that he has had a personal encounter with Jesus. So he's always, this is a pivotal moment in Paul's life about how he shifted and changed. Okay, this is a change moment where he had this personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So Paul explained how Ananias came to him in order to receive his sight again. That experience on the road to Damascus, seeing that glorious light, affected Paul so much that he couldn't see. We already know this from when we read about the passage earlier. So Ananias had to come and pray for him to receive his sight, and he did. In fact, remember earlier in the book of Acts, it's like the scales fell off of his fell off of his eyes. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Even though he could see again, scholars believe from the book of Acts he never saw like he saw before. Why? Because when you read his, his letters, he'll say, I'm writing, he usually dictated the letters that we have, but then at the end he'll say, I write in my own hand. See what big letters I use. His eyesight was always affected. Let me just stop for a moment. I want you to understand something. This is true throughout the Bible. When you have an encounter with the living God, it changes you. You're never the same. So for instance, like in in Genesis, Jacob. Jacob is leaving Syria from his father-in-law He's, he's getting ready to meet Esau. He's worried about Esau taking his life. It says that in the evening he wrestled with an angel, which I believe is the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, at Penuel, and is wrestling with the angel. The angel says, let go of me. He said, I'm not going to let go of you till you bless me. And he said, okay, I'll bless you. And he changes his name to Israel. But here's what he said. He also touched the hollow of his leg, and he limped from that point on. And after he does that, he he says, I've seen God. He realizes that he's seen God, and he limped from that point on. You know what? He had an encounter with God, but he was never the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was never the same again because of his encounter with God. This is what's happening with Paul. Paul explained how Ananias came in order for him to receive his sight again. But even though he got his sight back, wasn't like it was before. Do you understand what I'm saying? Wasn't like it was before. Ananias stated that God had chosen him to be a witness to all the people. God had decided to, to choose Paul so that he would be a witness to all the people. 
then I want you to notice what Ananias does here. And I think it's the same for you, for you and I, okay? Ananias called Paul to obedience. What do you mean he called Paul to obedience? Well, look with me. Look with me at verse 16. And why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What's he doing here? Baptism, folks, is the first step of obedience. It's an expression of your faith. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you don't get baptized to be saved, but because you are saved, it is your first step of obedience. He's calling Paul here to obedience. See, here's the thing. Jesus just didn't save you so that you could have that hell thing taken care of. So that you could have the forgiveness, the removal of guilt and all that. Yeah, that all happens. But that's not the purpose for why he saves you. You need to grasp this. The purpose for why he saves you is so that you will be faithful and obedient to him, whatever he tells you to do. You're servants of his. He's saved you for a purpose. Every single one of you. It's not just George because he's a preacher or not just because of some missionary. Do you understand what I'm saying? He saved you for right where you're at, in the house you live in, in the neighborhood you live in, in the borough you live in, in the wherever, in the county. You are saved for a purpose, for obedience, not just to make sure you got hell taken care of and we can live high on the mighty until then. He saved you for a purpose. He's calling Paul here. Paul, you've got grace. Now be obedient. Calling on the name of the Lord. question is, are you calling on the name of the Lord in your life? Or are you doing it yourself? Did you understand what I'm saying? Are you calling on the name of the Lord in your life? Or are you doing it yourself? That, that's really the issue here. He, Ananias called Paul to obedience. Now, let's go on. Look with me. He goes from there, he moves his story to where he's in Jerusalem. So notice he kind of skips over what we already know happened in Damascus, but to this crowd who's there, he wants to talk about his meeting, his interaction in Jerusalem when he first went back. Paul stated that he saw Jesus in a trance as he was praying in the temple. This is one of the most amazing things to me because I actually had to adjust what I believe a little bit, okay? What do you mean? Well, for years I always believed that when Jesus left, it was through the Holy Spirit that he interacts with people. Okay? But then I started reading through Acts and I realized not once, not twice, but several times Jesus himself appears to Paul after he's gone and tells him what he needs to do and, and warns him. So, what I want you to understand is that Jesus still interacts with us. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants to interact with you. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us throughout the day, but Jesus himself will interact with us. And here, in a, in a trance, in a dream, Jesus speaks to Paul and tells him to get out of the temple. We're going to see that now. While he's, while he's praying, he's interacting with Paul and telling him, warns him to leave quickly, because his testimony was rejected. Now, who's rejecting him? The Christians? No, they were afraid of him. Okay, remember? 
It's not that they, they reject. It was the people who were using him to kill the Christians. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They didn't want to know that the guy that they were using to get rid of the Christians is now a Christian himself. They wanted to get rid of him. So Jesus comes to him and warns him, leave. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment. Let me go back to because you're saying, okay, George, that's kind of weird, though, about the Jesus thing. Should I be expecting Jesus to work in my life like that? No, I didn't say that. But what I want you to know is, is this. God will work in your life some way. He will. Either through the Holy Spirit. I, I don't see too many people claiming that Jesus appears to them now, but he will interact in your life to guide you. Are you open to God guiding you in your life? Do you allow for the Holy Spirit to give you guidance? That's the issue. My hope is, is that you learn through prayer and through Scripture to be able to allow the Spirit to communicate to you what you need to do and not do. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope that you are learning that yourself. Do you understand? That's the point I want to make here. Here, Jesus tells him, get out of Jerusalem. Jesus tells Paul that he is being sent far from Jerusalem to the Gentiles. So he's being sent far from Jerusalem to the Gentiles. Now, he's, as soon as he says the word Gentiles, there's a reaction. Look with me now at verses 22 to 29. Okay? Let me read to you what it says there. <clears throat> And they listened to him until this word. What word? Gentiles. And they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And as they cried out and tore their clothes and threw dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he would be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. And the commander said, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. Paul said, I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. Okay, so let's going on here. So let's look at the reaction. First of all, this. Upon hearing Paul mention Gentiles, the Gentiles, the mob called for him to be killed. As soon as he mentioned the word Gentiles, they called for him to be killed. See, this is what the issue is. The issue isn't what Paul said up to this point. The issue isn't even that he interacted with Jesus. Because remember now, he's in Jerusalem. 
Would those people have had any knowledge of who Jesus was? Would they have known who Jesus was? Would they have witnessed Jesus during his ministry? Yes. Was Jesus, for the most part, favorable among the people? Yes. But here's the issue. They believed that Gentiles were not fit to live, that they were supposed to go to hell, period. And you know, they weren't to be included. And so as soon as they heard that he was supposed to be sent, Jesus was sending him to the Gentiles, they were calling for his death. They said he's not fit to live. They wanted to kill him. So the crowd reacted violently by throwing off their clothes. When it says they tore their clothes, literally, it's like, like they ripped their, you know, like they're just ripping the buttons. They didn't have buttons on their shirt like we do, but they ripped their garments, throwing dust in the air, okay, I mean, you're talking, they're like overreacting, okay? They're like so, have you ever been that way emotionally? You're so angry, you're just out of control emotionally? Hopefully that's not true of you folks. You've got it all together, okay? But, you know, here they are. They're throwing off, throwing the dust in the air. So the Roman commander ordered Paul taken to the garrison to be scourged and questioned. Now, this is how they operated. You know, if you get arrested here, they take you and they question you at the station house, right? Make sure you got your lawyer there with you, but they question. Now, what the Romans did, there was no lawyer to show up. They didn't even just question you. They beat you for a little bit and then questioned you. So they, and when I'm talking about beating you, I mean, they literally whipped the hide off of you with a cat of nine tails to soften you up to find out what's going on. So they, the Roman commander, the head guy, orders Paul to be taken to the garrison and scourged. Okay, now this is where it's interesting. Paul questioned the Roman centurion if it's lawful to scourge a Roman citizen. Remember, this already came up once before with Paul. Remember when he was taken into prison by the Philippians and he was in the Philippian jail and they had beaten him and he said, look, you guys have beaten a Roman citizen. And they got, they got all panicky and scared. Why? Because remember, in Rome, remember there were very few Roman citizens, but they had certain rights. And one of the rights they had was is that if, you, if they were, came in contact with the authorities, you don't bind them, you don't handcuff them, you don't, and you don't beat them. And even if they were found guilty, they didn't die the way normal people died, that is being crucified, a cruel death. They gave them a merciful death. They cut off their heads. It's more instantaneous, I guess. So Paul says, hey, you guys are about to scourge me. Is it lawful now to scourge a Roman? Is it lawful now to scourge a Roman? So the Roman centurion told the commander to be careful since Paul was a Roman citizen. Okay, now that changes everything. This is not just some Jewish guy who they got in the temple, outside of the temple, who's causing a ruckus that people want to kill, that we can just beat up on. It's just not just your normal Jew now. Here's a guy who's claiming to be a Roman citizen. That changes everything about how they're going to deal with him. Changes everything. So the commander asked Paul if he was a Roman citizen and how he obtained it. 
Because the commander says, I became a citizen by a large sum of money. The commander bought his citizenship. So you could do that. You could go to Caesar and give Caesar a big sweet check with a lot of money and get your citizenship. So the commander says, I got my citizenship by a large sum of money. How did you do it? You're just a Jew out here. How did you do it? Okay? How did you get your citizenship? And when he heard that Paul was a Roman citizen, they withdrew because Paul said, look, I was born a citizen. And so as soon as that happened, you got all the, I can, you can almost picture it in the room. You got all these big, beefy Roman soldiers with the whips in their hand getting ready to have some fun. And as soon as they heard he was a Roman citizen, they're like, okay, I'm out of here. You can see them all kind of walking out of the room like we're not going to do this. Yeah, Lori. There was no verification back then, but here's the thing. Nobody would just claim it. Do you understand? That's not something you just went around and said you were a Roman. And the fact of the matter is, is that he could make the initial claim. I'm sure they would investigate it later. But the fact that he said it was enough to scare you. Because here's the thing. Oh, yeah, sure, buddy. And Joe still go ahead and beat them. Because if he turns out to be a Roman citizen... Here's what happened. If you abused a Roman citizen, you died. They're not willing to put their life on the line. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when we looked later, he appears before several Roman procreators. At that point, they all recognize he's a Roman citizen. Do you understand? They all recognize he's a Roman citizen. So it's not like how now where you can just check with a computer and find out, but they just knew, okay? And, of course, they would check it out, and they would find out, yeah, he's a Roman citizen. So somehow, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how, because Paul is a pure Jew. Somehow Paul's dad got Roman citizenship. The Scripture doesn't tell us. But somehow his father got Roman citizenship so that Paul was born a Roman citizen. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you, he used his privileges as a citizen. Wouldn't you? Do you know what I'm saying? Wouldn't you? I mean, if they're getting ready to whoop the tar out of you and you could stop it by saying, well, now I'm a citizen, you can't do that. You would do that too, right? That's what he's doing here. So they stopped. When they heard that Paul was a Roman citizen, they withdrew from him in fear. Okay, so next week, we're going to see that Paul gives his defense now before the council. We're going to see some things happen. The Roman, the Roman commander still wants to know what in the world's going on because they can't figure this out. Romans are like, what's this Jewish thing going on here? What's this argument stuff? He's got to figure it out. So they're going to call the council to where they're at to, to, for Paul to appear before the council. So we're going to see that argument next week.